0: Good afternoon, happy Wednesday to all of those of you tuning in uh, right now on the line and those listening in the future. Uh, this is a totally different reality, and I'm your host, Julia Sotis. Today we have a very special guest, um, Chris Hughes is an incredible guy. He is he is so much fun. He is so unique. He's so himself, and he's so eccentric and Today he's going to be teach, uh, talking to us about the elegance of living. So welcome, Chris.
1: Oh well, thank you very much. I'm humbled by your introduction, Julia. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me on the call.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Um, I, I just I'm excited because I want to pull out of you. I want to learn about all like just how you look at the world. I can see that your point of view um, is very different than most people, and you look at things through an eye of elegance and class and you're one of the most incredible um, salespeople that I have ever known and you just have so much integrity and you bring so much joy um, to what you do and um, for those on the line who don't know Chris Hughes is the manager I guess of the Guild um, Antique Shop in Brisbane, Australia uh, that Gary Douglas owns so just tell us a little bit about the Guild and how you got that job and, uh, and where that's going.
1: Well, it sort of happened by accident, to be totally honest. I had no intention of, uh, of working in antiques and working at the Antique Guild. I was doing a thousand other things, as, as we all do. And uh, as you mentioned, Gary Douglas owns the Antique Guild. And he had started again, sort of by accident, um, this really remarkable location came up in Brisbane at this uh, particular hotel. And, and a few people got together and convinced Gary to come along into it to start an antique store. And before long, a lot of those other people had disappeared. And he was sitting there with this antique business that he had never intended to start in the beginning. And he said to me, he said, Chris, would you come and help me? And I said, no. No. that sounds horrible I said I can't imagine how boring that would be I can't sit in a store all day that would be just so not interesting to me and uh, he asked me okay well will you come along and uh, just showcase some of of, uh, my jewelry pieces at one of the uh, seven day classes that I do and I said okay well that does sound kind of fun so I'll do that and I had so much fun that I said okay look I'll come and help you out at the Antique Guild for, you know, between one to three months. It'll probably take me three months um, to get, the, get this place going the way you want it to. And, well, that was three years ago. <laughs> so it's just sort of, it's actually, it's interesting because what I talk about in The Elegance of Living Julia is this... Um, it's not about antiques. It's not about pearls and diamonds and candlelit suppers and going to the opera and everyone drinking from a teacup with their pinky sticking out. It's, it's actually an energy. And elegance, the way I look at it, and what it is to me is maximum impact with the minimum amount of effort. It's just like the story I just told, saying yes to something, that actually really works for you and really suits you and really is the energy of what you'd like your life to be and what it can create for you just from being willing to say yes, which in these instances is a hell of a lot easier than refusing the energy that there is on something of what it could actually add to your life.
0: Right. um, It's almost like... hmm you fried my brain a little bit on that. But what's coming to me is like, it's almost like the energy of the things. Yesterday I was on Shannon. Shannon O'Hara is doing this call called 12 Months to Your Phenomenal Life. And we were on the first call yesterday, the January call. And she said, um, what did she say? Oh, this is such a a strong thing for me. It's frying my brain right now. But she said something about, you don't want to go after the life that you want. You want to go after what works and what there is an elegance in what works almost is what I'm trying to say I can't quite get to it with words perhaps you can speak to it
1: well if anyone out there has a cat have you ever watched the way your cat moves Mm. there is a beautiful lingering line through their body and every step is not exactly deliberate but it's it's fluid and it is elegant it it moves with and through their whole body without resistance and and force but it's creating something for them all the time and does, does that do you get that analogy imagine the energy that's, of a cat moving
0: that's exactly you know i um went to one of dean and gary's benefit dinners for El Ugar at their house in um houston and that was the exact, you said not deliberate, but that was the word that I thought of. I was sitting in their house, and I looked around, and I thought, everything in this house, there's nothing here that's here by default. Everything is deliberate, and everything is chosen. And to me, that's what elegance is.
1: Absolutely. There is, there is something about that. And it's sort of like... Um, Julia, one of the things that I love and and collect quite prolifically to my husband's dismay sometimes is um, sterling silver. And Gary Douglas is also a huge collector of this. And uh, we're like kids in a candy shop when we get talking about it. It's very exciting for us. (laughs) But um, in in sterling silver, if I could show you visual examples, I would. But you have all of these... Things, and if you've had been to Gary's house in particular, you'll know this, there's all of these different serving pieces and utensils and um, platters and things that were custom built for whatever they're intended for, whether it's for asparagus or sardines or serving tomatoes or, um, you know, particular forks for piercing um, cold lettuce. They're all designed wow. in such a way to honor that particular thing they're meant to serve and, and be as efficient as possible in serving that particular thing. And wow. that, again, is a, it's a sort of elegance, you know, that they have been custom and deliberately chosen to be used to their greatest effect with the minimum amount of effort in that circumstance. <laughs>
0: that is just incredible. And
1: it's, wow. it's, it is incredible. And some of them, when you look at them, at first you look at them and you go, that is the strangest bloody thing I've ever seen in my life. Like <laughs> I have this, this one thing at home that, uh, if I could show you, it's like got a handle and then the, it comes out and it's got all these weird, crazy prongs on it. And it is a cake comb. And <laughs>
0: Come on, a cake what, comb?
1: Yes, and it was particularly designed to effectively serve angel food
0: cake. Oh, my gosh.
1: Don't you have a special server for your angel food cake?
0: I don't, and I really would like one. But it makes me think of my cupboards because I moved into this new house, and it is filled with cupboards. It is huge and beautiful, and there are so many cupboards. I don't know what to do with them. But I have so many different, interesting, weird appliances for for just little, small, particular tasks. And my, my fine china and my not, and I'm 22 years old, and it's like, why do you need all this? But it's elegance, and I didn't even get that that's what that was. That's so amazing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And the thing about that is, like I said, with those serving pieces, they, they, they honor the ingredient or the, the item that they're meant to serve. And that's how I view all of these things, too. They're an honoring of you, in using mm-hmm. them, just as you said, you've got these cupboards full of things and you're only 22. Well, good for you. How great is that? Um, it's a To me, it's as well, this elegance is about using the best you have available uh, in each instance. So it's not about, you know, so many people say, oh, well, I have my grandmother's china or my grandmother's silver or crystal and I never use it. Or it just sits on the cupboard. It's a dust collector. But... I look at that and I say you can apply that to your whole life. Why save the best of you and the best you have available for a special occasion?
0: Absolutely.
1: Why not? Why not bring it off the shelf and start using it now? Wow. And that's not just about things, that's about you.
0: Oh, that was so elegantly put.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: So wait, can you tell us a little bit about how the cake comb works? I just have to hear this before we move too far away from it.
1: Well, I'll post a photo of it on your Facebook page so that you have an idea. But okay. it's, a, uh, it's, it's, like, it's like a comb. Imagine a really big comb with, with all of the little prongs of the comb are like metal skewers that all go in the same direction down. And the other thing that you would do with it is you would use it to perforate the cake so that when you were there with your guests and you knew how many guests were coming, you would already measured out all of the slices of the cake and you knew how many you were going to need and then your cake knife would slide effortlessly through the perforated cake when you served (laughs) and it would, you know, you'd look like an absolutely well, you know, carefully thought out gracious hostess and um, it would be like a beautiful store-bought cake even though it was something... you've made at home or whatever Um, but yeah, I'll post a photo of one on your Facebook page so that people can have an idea of how marvelous these things are
0: oh, it just makes me want to I'm like tearing up right now because it's just so thrilling and exciting
1: yeah, well I've seen photos of of your apartment and and you have that marvelous table
2: uh,
1: that uh, someone restored for you and it, to me, again, it, the, the restoration of a piece like that is uh, is pretty incredible. I mean, so many people nowadays would look at it and they go, oh, that's so much work. But honestly, that's a marvelous French provincial cherry wood table. And if people put the effort in of restoring something like that, it's actually um, not only is it probably less expensive than buying a new one, But in the long run, if you look at it, it is elegant because the effort that went into restoring that table, it will probably last someone another 80 to 100 years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Whereas,
1: you know, I always say to people, you won't leave IKEA to your kids. (laughs) It just won't last long enough. Absolutely. and, 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 And they even put it in their advertisements at IKEA. You know, they tell people... You know, it's it's time to buy new. It's spring. Come and buy new furniture. Well, that's to me, is not terribly elegant. You know, it's it's promoting a culture of, um, you know, throwing disposable culture of throwing everything away and buying new again. And you know, I look around at the furniture in my house, and a lot of it is, um, you know. The oldest piece is probably 250 years old and the youngest pieces are probably 80 years old. And there's no sign of them being rickety or there's no, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not screaming that they're ready to go to the dump. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It, it's been designed with the integrity and the, the, um, the elegance that it will continue to be useful and beautiful for years to come.
0: Mm, that's amazing
1: and and what a great investment that you don't have to keep buying the same thing over and over again
0: yeah well and 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 what like what you're saying is it's a it's a a lifestyle choice like it's a choice to be present enough it takes a level of presence a choice to be present enough to look at what your choices will create in the future
1: absolutely it's it's a choice to be present with the items because, you, you know, if you really look at the things that you have, you, you get a lot of information about them. Not only about their, their beauty, but about who made them and when they made them and why they designed them in the particular way that they did. But it's also, oh. a, choice, it's also a choice for wealth. I mean, I know for myself, um, I was always really willing to create money. Uh, mm-hmm. That was always easy for me. But having money and saving money was something that I was just like, oh, gosh, no, not going to happen. And uh, Gary Douglas has this tool that a lot of people probably know about called, you know, putting away your 10%, where you put away 10% of every dollar that comes into your life and as an honoring of you. Well, I was never very good at that. You know, something would come along that I decided I had to have or a bill would show up or something and I'd spend it. So what I started doing is buying silver in a lot of different forms. I would buy knives and forks. I would buy blocks of silver bullion from a local bullion dealer. And those items have intrinsic value, but it's not exactly easy to take them to the store and use them to buy a T-shirt or something. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I've done that with my 10% as well. It's rings and, and necklaces, mostly bought from the guild.
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly, that's the thing. If you buy things like that, that you know have value and will increase in value, your intrinsic wealth and worth go up as well. Like, I was having a bad hair day about money one day, and I looked around my apartment, and I realized, wow, I have, I have about $50,000 worth of silver lying around. So I clearly don't have a money problem. There is money here. And from then on, my points of view about what I could create with money and have, mo- have money were completely different. It's like walking into your house and being greeted by, you know, a beautiful little table with a silver tray that you put your keys on and, a, and a, a painting or a mirror that you just love that you found. It's a really different energy, not only for knowing what it's worth, but how it feels to you and your body.
0: Right. Right. Hmm. So do you, do you do a lot with paintings? Have you studied art and art history? Or I mean, maybe perhaps you've not studied it, but learning through the guild?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's one of the things I love about it. Every day, I learn something new. And every day I do some little bit of research, not, you know, sitting down doing serious homework. I just do a little bit of research every day, all the time, and find out more, Uh, you know, and uh, that's one of the things that's so fun about this area for me, is there are so many different areas of collecting, and of antiques, and and, uh, of items of value, there are coins, and stamps, and silver and crystal and jewelry and furniture and art and mirrors and chandeliers and you know there's so many different areas to explore and in the industry you meet so many people that have a different area of expertise of what they're excited about really speaks to them be it porcelain or china or or whatever it is and uh so yeah you get exposed to a lot of it but uh you know, I, you know, I choose what, what excites me and what works for me, and other people do the same. And, and that's, you know, part of, the, part of making it a bit more individual. You don't have to learn about right. everything, anything you don't want to.
0: You know, it sounds very exciting to be an expert in porcelain. I'd like to learn more about
1: porcelain. Well, and how fun would that be? And, you know, I remember seeing a, uh, an episode of the Antiques Roadshow about this young lady about your age,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: she had just moved out of... Um, mm-hmm student housing and she was into her first apartment and buying bits and pieces for her kitchen and she went to a uh, a, a sale of some kind and she found a teacup and she spent two pounds on it so you know four dollars or something and she took it to the expert on the antiques road show and he looked at it and he told her what it is and he said you know this teacup is worth five thousand pounds <laughs>
0: come on wow yeah.
1: And that, you know, you can make these sorts of discoveries all the time, maybe not like that's a fairly, you know, extreme example. But, you know, what if using your awareness, you could find pieces like that that added to your life in incredible ways. And the way of knowing what something like that's worth, I mean, you can have sort of a sense or a knowing, you look at something, and it's as you say, there's an elegance, there's a deliberate choice in how it was designed and put together and it has something really um, different about it. Um, But just following that knowing is great. And then if you add the knowledge and the research and the uh, sort of your own little adventure of exploration into what the item is, can be a big tip off into what something's worth. To give you another story about that, um, you know, we have the shop in Brisbane. And a young man came in one day with a teapot. And he had been cleaning out the garage with his mother. And there was a black teapot there. And the mother was just about to throw it out. And uh, the, the son said, just wait a minute, Mom. You know, I walk by that antique store every day on the way to university. Maybe I'll just take it and show it to them. Who knows? It might be worth, you know, you know, 10 or $20. And uh, we had a look at it and it did have the hallmarks on the bottom of it to indicate that it was English and it was sterling silver and it was made in the 1780s or 90s, I can't remember exactly now, and was worth thousands and she was about to throw it out. Mm. So what have you got in the cupboard at home that you don't even know what it really (laughs) is or what it's really worth?
0: Chris, I have to tell you this my mom I just texted my mom I said mom get on the radio show right now we're talking antiques because I grew up on a farm in um, rural Manitoba and my mom my mom's a costume designer and she has 3,000 costumes and they're sitting in the loft of our barn and she's made displays and so she rents these costumes and then the bottom of the barn is completely cleaned out and each stall of the barn is a different stall so there's it's named after the family, so Happy Harry's Bottle Shop for my dad and Carly's Kitchen for my sister and Julia's General Store. And I've spent I, I uh, I've always kind of rolled my eyes at the antiques and stuff growing up, but now I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is just thrilling. And we went to auction sales and auction sales. It would be fascinating to know what is actually in that barn.
1: Right, and that's the anyway. thing. It's the willingness to be present with the items and pay attention to what each of them could possibly be, that, that make a big difference. I mean, antique dealers make an awful lot of money, and auctioneers as well, from people that go in and they sell these estates with no idea of what it is. Absolutely I went, none. I'm
3: sorry, this is Julia's mom. I went to an auction and I spent $120 and I filled up our truck and a whole trailer and the people brought stuff the next day and I'd spent $120. I had three items from that. Auction appraised, and they were one
1: hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I it's went to fun. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. I went to an auction in, in Sydney, and I was there for a couple pieces in particular. Um, and then this vase was being auctioned, and they called it. I think they called it a a good Art Deco vase. Um, oh, the audio has changed. Can everyone still hear me? Okay, good. So they called it a good art deco vase, and I didn't pay much attention to it, but no one else was bidding, and I just put my hand up and I bought it. There was something about it that was quite nice, and I think I paid $60 for it. And uh, I got it home and had a good look at it, and underneath I could see that if you held it at just the right angle, you could tell that in actual fact it was signed. And it was signed by René Lalique, who was one of France's most influential and important glass designers, in particular in around 1900 to 1920. Well, that brand still exists and you can buy his vases and and they're lovely things and actually quite valuable. But finding a piece that actually was made when he was alive was a big deal. And that $60 vase, I was able to sell for $2,000. Wow. (laughs) That's
0: so fun. It is fun.
1: It is fun, absolutely and, and and there's lots of stories about about how that happens, but it's as I was saying before, um, so many times auctioneers and, and, and antique dealers buy things from people who don't want them anymore or, or they inherited something that they're trying to get rid of, and when you don't know what you're selling, it can you can give away some real gems for little money, and if you have the knowledge of, of what it is, it can make a huge difference
3: i've I've heard that um, people who are interested in antiques are sort of dying off and there's not very many collectors anymore and stuff, but if you have a true valuable antique, that wouldn't apply.
1: Absolutely. And the items of some of the things have changed because the industry is different, but I don't actually agree with people when they say the industry is dying, but as the generations change, the taste change, and people are interested in different things. So, you know, what may have been really valuable and collectible and interesting to people um, uh, you know, 15 years ago, and what's collectible and interesting now is quite different. Like um, I was in Melbourne on the weekend with um, Steve and Tissa Bowman, for those who know them, um, and we were poking around some antique shops, and we found this little guide to collecting jewellery that was about 16, 17 years old. And uh, we were wondering how accurate the prices still were that they were listing for the item. And there was one item that Trutissa uh, had an identical version of. And 16 years ago, they called the value of the item $125. Well, now, um, a valuer recently looked at this piece and appraised it at 850
0: Wow.
1: So if some of these things, while the industry may be changing, a lot of them are really appreciating in value.
2: Oh, can I ask what's appreciating, what's depreciating?
1: Um, okay, so at the moment, one of the hottest things in the market, well, I'll give you a couple examples and, and show you what can occur in the market to create these changes. If we're talking about high-end jewelry, rubies are going up in value tremendously, as are aquamarines. Um, aquamarines: Yay. Exactly. Aquamarines are going up because um, people didn't, they, they didn't realize how rare a stone it actually was until fairly recently. They thought because you could find it in a number of different countries that it was plentiful. But in actual fact, it's only in a fairly shallow strata of the earth that they can mine it, and then there isn't that much. So while it is evenly sort of distributed in a lot of countries, there isn't that much of it. They're not; they weren't. To, their original assumption was not correct. In, in terms of other areas of collecting, say again, 15, 20 years ago, the Japanese economy was booming, and Japanese antiques were so collectible and, and valuable. At the moment, um, the taste for Japanese art has has gone down. And so the price of these, in a lot of cases, the price of these items has also decreased. However, Chinese art has gone through the roof because China, the Chinese economy is so strong. And, and at one point, when Mao Zedong came to power in China, they destroyed a lot of the art, artifacts, anything... Um, that wasn't really in line with the communist propaganda. Well, now, even though China's still a communist country, it's a very wealthy country, and they're buying back their history at record prices. So having a look at your cupboard and going, oh, I have a few little bits of old Chinese art or, or porcelain or something that a relative brought back from a trip, or, and some of those items can be worth an incredible amount of money.
0: Hmm, that's really interesting. So it is, it's a, yeah, it's, you have to be on your toes and astute and present and willing to learn and ask willing, questions.
1: Willing to learn and ask questions and willing to have more of a, a global view right. of knowing what else is going on. You know, what are the extenuating factors to make these so valuable right now? Like I was saying about rubies, rubies are super valuable at the moment because of trade embargoes to Burma. Most rubies come from Burma. And Burma has some really um, interesting child labor policies. And a lot of the Western world are not doing any business with Burma as a result of those policies and have made a rule that you can't import rubies from Burma into the United States. That has driven the price so high Now, I can tell that when when I go off on on these sorts of stories and give people information that it overwhelms some people and they think, oh, well, you know, I can't possibly have, um, you know, awareness of all of this or pay attention to all of these little stories and details. But I'll I'll give you a great tip is if you're out there looking at um, pieces like this, pick them up and ask the piece, will you make me money? It's a great tool and tip from Gary Douglas. But if you ask it, will you make me money? Or if I buy you, will you make me money? And you get sort of a, uh, a sense of, of a lightness or a heaviness. And if it's light, it's usually true. And if it's heavy, it's a lie. It's just kind of weird and wonderful the way things work. Um, and it may not be linear about uh, whether it makes you money or not. You know, it's like I have, I have a, a diamond ring that I wear a lot, and it's a really big honking ring, and it's, it's, it's hard to miss it. And I was checking in for a flight once, and the lady at the, at the counter of the airline, she said, Oh, my God, is that ring worth like $100,000? And I said, Oh, no, no, it's only worth $80,000, which you know, was a total... <laughs> It was a total, a total fib and an exaggeration. And the lady at the check-in desk, she said, oh, well, we'll get you a seat. We'll get you a seat in business. We don't, we, we'll, we, you know, we'll get you a better seat than that. And she upgraded <laughs> me to a better seat purely based on her interpretation of my wealth. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just from wearing something. So did it make me money? Sure it did. It was not linear, and it wasn't about necessarily buying it and selling it and making a profit. It was more just about, hey, it added to my life in a weird and funny way. And what else? (laughs)
2: That's funny. Is there there a resource that's easy for us to look up? Values Um, of antiques we might have?
1: Look, um, first of all, I'll say this about values of antiques and, and that sort of thing. It's a point of view. Okay. When I first got into the antique business, I took the same pair of earrings to four different valuers, and everyone gave me a different value and a different price, fluctuating by as much as 50%. So, just know that if you get something valued, find a valuer that actually likes what you have, because if they see the beauty and the joy of it and the magic of it, they will apply a value to it in line with that, which is kind of important if you're putting it on your insurance or anything like that. You know, if they don't like it, um, you can get in trouble. Like, uh, some of these answers to your questions may seem long-winded, but believe me, there's, a, there's an energy there that I'm addressing. The, uh, one of the things that are extraordinarily valuable in jewelry, and you might look at your grandmother's jewelry for this, is pearls. Pearls that are older than say 1920, 1910, older than that, they are a different species of oyster that created those pearls, and they're actually natural. Almost all the pearls today on the market, in fact, all of them are cultured or they're freshwater cultured, which is farmed. And the cultured ones, the cultured seawater are much more valuable than the freshwater, but even more valuable than that are these old natural pearls. Say, for example, the Queen of England where's a double strand of natural pearls, and those are worth about $1.5 million. Um, oh. That being said, we have a couple strands of natural pearls at the Antique Guild in Brisbane, and my usual jewelry valuer doesn't see what all the fuss is about, and doesn't give them very good values. He, he thinks it's ridiculous that they should be worth so much. So that's his point of view and that colors his valuation of the pieces. So...
3: And to tell that, if a pearl is real or not, you rub it on your
1: teeth and then what? <laughs> well, you, if you rub pearls on your teeth um, and they're gritty, if they're smooth, as, if they're absolutely smooth, that's an indication that it's probably a plastic bead. Okay. If you rub them on their teeth and they're a bit gritty, mm-hmm. that's a good indication that they're probably um, either cultured or natural. But uh, to tell the difference between cultured and natural, do you actually have to take them and get them x-rayed? Oh. Yeah. It's, it's not something that people can usually just look at and on the spot tell you straight up. You actually probably have to get them x-rayed to tell if they are for sure. Any natural pearls that I've bought have come with an x-ray report to prove that they're natural.
3: Okay. I have a deer horn cane in the barn and I just was renting it out. I didn't really care about it. And then I had somebody helping me and they said, oh, this is worth like at least $100. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of those arts of carving especially are gone. People don't know how to do it anymore. Uh, And so things like that are going up and up in value. So, yeah, uh, one of the things that you might do as a really sort of introductory idea to see what something's worth, is uh, get the name of it and plug it into Google and see how many others are out there and are people selling them, what are they selling them for, and that can give you kind of a, a basic idea of what they're worth. Mm-hmm, You do that. You know, or <laughs> it, yeah, like if you put it in there and you get a thousand of the things and they're all going for 50 to $80, then you can, you know, it's a pretty fair bet that that's what they're worth. If you, I mean, you could ask more for it, but chances are most people are going to say, hey, you know what, actually, I see these all the time for less. So that's, uh, you know, that's one way of doing it. Other resources, um, there's plenty of resources out there on each individual topic. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a general source that covers all, but you can find, and I you know most of my antique books I found at um, you know, Jumble Sales And you find the odd book on antiques and on collecting and on that sort of thing. And uh, we have a great book at home that's an antique encyclopedia. And you can look up stuff all the time. And it has sort of good basic general information about everything, but not a lot about values necessarily. Mm. Um, For those that are interested, uh, I actually next month, I'm doing a, uh, a series of Google Hangouts that is all about what's called the elegance of living, but it's, It's designed to give people knowledge in several areas of collecting so that they can apply the resources that I'm going to give them and start collecting themselves and learn about what they have and start identifying items of of real value. We're going to go through um, silver, gold, and other precious metals. We're going to go through gemstones and pearls and coral. We're going to go through eras of craftsmanship. And it's going to be designed to really heighten people's awareness of the finer things in life. If if you're you're
3: storing (laughs) silver, does it matter if it's tarnished? Will it always come back with a good cleaner?
1: Yes, it will always come back with a good cleaner. Um, Depending, though, if it's silver or silver plate. If it's silver plate, sometimes uh, you need to be careful with what you polish it with because you can burn off the silver plating. If you've got a, a cleaner that's a bit too aggressive and too abrasive, um, so that I do recommend a, a few different cleaners um, that work better uh, for that sort of thing under Gentler.
0: Chris, could you put the link to that Google Hangout series that you're doing on my Facebook page as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There, all the information can be found on uh, www.theeleganceofliving.com. So. Cool. You can- You can check it out there, too. We did a free Taster Google Hangout, so it's free if you want more information and and some information about collecting and antiques. And it's an hour-long Google Hangout. It's there on a page called Free Taster. And then we have one, uh, the series coming up starts in February. um, And uh, that will be a six-call series covering lots of different topics. So the information's all there if you want to register and are interested in learning more
0: fantastic that's exactly what i've been asking for it needs to be out there especially you know it's fun to learn things from it's it's fun to learn antiques from anyone i mean it's you know we have this guy in winnipeg and he knows everything about everything his business is called the people you meet at garage sales or something like that but it's it's really (laughs) it's especially fun to learn um when you're looking at things from your awareness and your knowing and a conscious perspective, because that's the spin that I like to take on all this stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's amazing what to sort of, if you ask yourself or ask your body to help, you find something worth, worth more than you think it is. It's great to just go and let your body show you. But another great thing to know is, I mean, as I've said, there are so many different areas of antiques and collecting, be it from, you know, carved horn canes to um, sterling silver tea sets, not everyone knows about everything. So one of the things that I was taught by Gary Douglas was that in every antique shop in the world, there's something way overpriced and there's something way underpriced. And knowing where the really great deal is or where there's something quite special that they don't know what it is can be a bit of a fine art. Another friend of mine who's a a China dealer, he said to me, look, if you want to find really great porcelain ceramics in China, go to a furniture shop, because they'll have little bits of China decorating things, but they won't know what it is. It's not their interest, and it's not what they collect, so they don't, they don't, you know, they'll often have real gems for great prices, uh, just sitting there.
0: that's really neat. Wow. It's really light when you say um, when I think it was my mom asked a question. You know, people may not have the same value in antiques. And you said, um, "Well, what if it's not that? What if it's that tastes are changing?" That's really light. And I think that what's coming is maybe more the the more bizarre and interesting pieces. Is that Absolutely. true? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and the really the really unique and sort of the best examples of each category never really lose value. And in fact, a lot of them, you can expect to double in value every, say, 10 years.
0: Mm.
1: It's sort of like, imagine, say, for example, 15 years ago, if you would have gone and bought an ounce of gold, an ounce of pure gold 15 years ago cost about $400. And at the same time, um, a great uh, handmade suit or dress cost about the same amount of money. And yeah. nowadays, an ounce of gold is worth, uh, in the US, $1,200 per ounce. And a great handmade, hand-tailored suit costs the same amount of money. So that's the ra- the way inflation has gone. If you had bought just the suit 15 years ago, it's not going to be worth $1,500 today. But the gold holds its value and appreciates in a similar way so does silver. So these are great places to put your money as, 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 a, as a, a sort of a savings. You know, back in the day, when people got married, oftentimes they were given a, a chest of silver cutlery. And it wasn't just about, oh, here's a nice thing for you to have to entertain with. It was also about, here is something to add to your wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. Hmm. And uh, what's interesting about that is, as your mother pointed out, um, it's so great to hear your guys' accent as a sideline. I'm from Saskatchewan, so it's like, (laughs) oh, it sounds like home. Um, (laughs) But... uh, but, Those silver companies that used to make all the cutlery and the flatware, most of them are either non-existent now or they only produce in stainless steel. So the technology is being lost to produce these things as the demand goes down for the general public. But it's like the value of them continues to increase. And as they become rarer and rarer, the, they just, again, they, they accelerate in value. In my particular set of, of flatware, um, I love it and I buy little pieces for it all the time to add to it. I'm getting married in, uh, in May, so yesterday I found a cake knife in my silver pattern and it was only $35. And so I bought it, so I'll use it at the wedding and it's in our pattern and then we'll have it as a keepsake and a memento, but that's a steal of a price. And uh, at this point, in my silver flatware pattern, I have the largest collection of anybody I've ever seen. And I first started it by investing, I think, $2,000 into the set because the person that was selling it was selling it for the melt value of the silver. Mm -hmm. Because he had the point of view that, oh, this stuff's not desired anymore. No one wants it. Well, there was a set I saw sell on the Internet in the same pattern by the same maker with less pieces than I have for eleven thousand dollars. Wow! And I paid okay. I paid two thousand dollars for my set when I first started it, and I've added even more to it. I probably overall have invested about three and a half to four thousand dollars in it, and I think it would be pretty easy to sell it at this point for fifteen to sixteen thousand.
2: Oh. Yeah, and that, I no- that's true. I, had, I, I went in, I have a, my mother's sterling silver set, and I went into a store in Winnipeg, and the guy said, I'll buy it off you and melt it down. Here, you should buy this. You know, if you want something, just buy this silver plate stuff. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
1: here's, here's, the thing to know. here's the thing to know about silver. Not only is it incredible for your health, it does amazing things for your immune system and for um, water purification if you're storing water in it. It, it also um, is going up in value because they're using it in a lot of industrial applications. They're putting it in, you know, smartphones and iPads inside. They're using silver in the circuit boards. They're using it in solar panels. They're embedding it into bandages because of its healing properties and using them in hospitals. So the demand is going up. Because they are using it in all these different ways.
0: What silver has healing capacity? Oh, co- there's that product sort of
3: colloidal silver. How do you say that? that yeah. You could buy drops for your, what colloidal silver. You're supposed to take yes. it. I don't know. I heard
1: exactly. about that a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people go to the store and they spend a great deal of money on those uh, little drops of colloidal silver. But eating off of silver flatware does the same thing. I use my oh. silver every day and it adds, to, it adds to my health. We have actually, if you go to um, the Antique Guild website, www.theantiqueguild.com.au, we have a journal there of um, blog articles, and we have an article there called The Sterling Benefits of Silver, and it talks all about what um, silver does for water purification, for immune um, system building, and for its antimicrobial properties, where it kills bacteria. Um, it's, it's fantastic, you know, back in the day there used to be the saying of born with a silver spoon in your mouth that actually had more to do with someone's health than someone's wealth
2: hmm. Hmm.
1: it was uh, because people that were wealthy that ate off silver were healthier and lived longer and there were a lot of factors that contributed to that but the silver spoon phrase that's what it was referring to was that their health came from the silver
3: Everybody else is using lead and dying like flies.
1: Exactly.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's so much bad flatware out there that people just eat off of every day. So cheap and thin. It's so lovely to eat with sterling silver.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. It's it's, it's and again, it's the money part of it's cool, but it's how it feels in your hand and in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I love collecting that sort of thing, especially because. I just think it's so much fun to my friends and family to put on a grand table, you know, where you've got little vases with flowers and you've got your little silver butter dish and your cutlery and your crystal and your china and your linen, and it all ends up being this really gorgeous, sumptuous, decadent experience, not just for a special occasion, but for celebrating every day, if you feel like it, if you've got time for it, and it's it's, Just a nice little treat for you to take a moment and light a candle and and put some flowers in a vase that you've got. Those aren't expensive things to choose to do. If you can go out to your garden and pick some flowers, or I know Manitoba at this time of year, you're probably not doing that. But uh, Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Like those little treats for yourself are also, to me, about the elegance of living.
0: Totally. This is so interesting. I never in a million years would have considered the health properties of both the the cutlery and silverware we put in our mouth. That's just so interesting.
1: Well for centuries people used to store and um, transport water in particular in silver because they knew it would keep it pure.
0: Hmm.
1: It wouldn't gra- it wouldn't grow mold in the vessel. Wow.
0: Okay. Huh fascinating. Yeah. So what wow Wow, wow, wow. So what else? I This is, a, this is such an interesting call. I listened to it for days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, don't stop. Like, I don't really know what to ask, but what other interesting things can you tell us about elegance and antiques?
1: Oh, well, you know, I'll give you a few tips um, of what I would... Um, so I sort of put together some tips for people that they could take away if they wanted to add more elegance to their life. And the first one I've already given you, which is, um, you know, see what you've already got. You know, I talk about elegance as this, the definition being, you know, the greatest amount of impact with the lowest amount of effort and using the, the best of what you have to its greatest capacity. Well, what have you already got at home? What's in the cupboard that you can take out and dust off and start using so that it adds to your life? There's a great little tip. Do you have a little flower garden that you can go to and, and pick a flower or two and add it to your table? Have you got a wonderful little teacup on the shelf um, that, uh, that would just be a joy to use, you know, one night uh, instead of... You know, just eating your dinner, watching the the television. What if you turned off the television for a moment and just sat with you and had a little cup of tea or a a glass of port or something just for the fun of it? Um, So there's another great tip. Another one is um, go out to your local um, antique shops or jewelry stores or um, rummage sales or any of those and see what does excite you. What would interest you as a collector that you can take up as a, as a quote unquote hobby that might add to your life? Is, is it China? Is it crystal? Is it porcelain? Is it, is it, is it, is it find out what works for you? I love silver, but I don't expect everybody else to. Um, so, I mean, an example, my partner and I, we both like silver, but I definitely am the real champion of it. Um, we both love Crystal, that's sort of our common ground. We both get really excited about Crystal, just absolutely love it. But he's really interested in porcelain in China, where, to me, I'm, I'm, not that, I'm not that keen on it. But the fact that he is means we have all these pieces in the house, and I get exposed to it, and I start to look at it and learn from it, and they complement each other, which is quite fun. Yeah. Yes. So That's those are my sort of three tips. Find out what works for you. What have you got already, and what can you add to your life now that that would be uh, sort of add to your experience of living and the elegance of it?
3: Those are great questions, Chris. Are they porcelain dolls, or porcelain china pieces, or porcelain? Yeah,
1: porcelain porcelain china pieces, like um, you know cream jugs and teapots and teacups and and that sort of thing. Oh,
0: I just love that stuff so much. It makes me dizzy.
1: Yeah. Well, here's an interesting tip about that stuff for those who have some at home. You're actually doing it a great disservice by leaving it on the shelf. Because if you'll notice in some old uh, china ceramics and porcelain, you'll see little cracks in the surface of it in the glaze. Mm -hmm. That's called crazing. And that crazing occurs because the piece is dehydrated. And if you uh-huh. take it, and you use it, and then you're washing it, the piece gets hydrated and will last you an awful lot longer because you're using it. In a similar vein, you can prevent having to polish your silver so much by actually using it as well, because once you've used it, you wash it in hot soapy water, and then it, it just doesn't seem to tarnish as much.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so fascinating! Fascinating! Mom, let's go. Let's go. Garage sailing
3: <laughs> right now. I'm
2: on board. Okay, here we go. Don't don't put it in the in the microwave like you know my daughter might have done to some of no.
1: my no <laughs> no no especially your china. I wouldn't put your china in the microwave because often it has metal trims on it and that will yeah. react.
2: It, it burns actually. I I had two gold rimmed Limoges plates put in China oh and they are sadly. <clears throat> Uh, burnt gold now <laughs> oh, oh no oh, <laughs>
1: oh well oh, Sorry. oh well Next. but
2: that's the that's the choice i made because i use those as my daily dishes so <laughs>
1: how marvelous you <laughs> what sound the heck? like you see, your house sounds maybe a bit like mine. I've got that too. I've got uh, I've got three sets of, of dinnerware at the moment, China dinnerware. Because, yeah, you know, you never know which color you're going to want, whether you're going to want the cream and the black and the gold or whether you're going to want the yes! cobalt blue, huh? the gold and the white. or you know, China's you,
3: my fetish too. It, I could have it, 50 different patterns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm slowly learning. But it, th- that's an, it's another cute story about how... Um, Andrew and I, my my husband, we got onto this was um, we, uh, you know, we each had our separate uh, little bowls that we threw our change into at the end of the day, all of our pocket change. And there was an auction coming up of an antique dealer that was going out of business. And we said, Oh, well, let's see what we've got in this spare change. And we added it all up and we had $500 in loose change. And we went, we went to that auction and we bought, $500 worth of things. I think we got 10 different lots ranging from $20 to $80 and most of them $50. And uh, we turned that $500 within three months into $3,000 by selling what we bought. And then we went and we took that and we reinvested it and turned and doubled and tripled our money again and then and then and then it just kept going and it keeps rolling on and it's not like our main um, source of income but it adds funny money to our lives that we you know when we have something coming up that we want or we want to just keep buying things and we do and sometimes we go and we use that money that money and we buy something that actually we don't want to sell we just want to keep it and that's Mm -hmm. one of our rules we don't buy anything that we wouldn't live with ourselves
0: Mm -hmm. say that again
1: we don't buy anything that we wouldn't live with ourselves
0: ah very good idea
1: and when we go out, we buy stuff that we, can, that we know about that we can clearly see that it, will, that it is worth more than we're able to buy it for.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Like when this, when this antique dealer was going out of business, he had a lot of stuff that was a bit old-fashioned, the way antique stores were 20 years ago. And a lot of it, there is still the market for. It just may not have as high a price as it did originally. So we were able to buy some things for say twenty dollars, that were definitely worth a hundred, and Ooh. and sometimes even more. And also, I mean, when you really win out is when you have knowledge that the auctioneer doesn't, mm. and then you you're able to buy something at a really great price that you know is worth a whole lot more.
0: Oh, that would be just a
2: oh oh, Chris, I'm just so excited now. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to go take a walk down Antique Row in Victoria tomorrow. Cool. Idea.
1: <laughs> well, Like I say, if, if this does excite you and interest you as much as it does me, the key is educating yourself about some of these things. And I'd love to have anyone who's interested on our, our uh, Google Hangout series where there's going to be a lot of visual examples and resources given so that you can apply this to... Um, you know, add more of these things to your life and make yourself more money.
0: Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, a, a good, another good resource um, is the book, The Penny Capitalist, too. for Because right. that's, that's a book that I think that Gary recommends it in Foundation and Level 1 class. And I uh, have just been rereading it. And uh, it just talks about like what you did with the with the your two change dishes and the five hundred dollars, just making your money grow by multiplying it and, and looking being present with what will create more in the future.
3: How can Absolutely. you tell? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. How can you tell the difference between plated silver and like I guess also what we buy here in Manitoba is plated?
1: Uh, there's a few different ways. Uh, first of all, you look at the markings and see what it says in the bottom. And, you know, there's a whole art to knowing what those different ones mean. If it's rubbed through anywhere and underneath there's a copper color, that's a pretty good indication that it is uh, what you call Sheffield plate. Um, if it says EPNS anywhere on it, that's electroplated nickel silver. So that's not, again, that's not sterling. Generally speaking, if it was sterling, they wanted you to know it was because it was obviously worth more. So there's the English system of hallmarks hallmarks that you can learn to read. And then if anything is Canadian or American, it usually just says sterling. But again, there's Austrian marks and there's French marks, and you'd be surprised at what you find where and what it actually is. Um, Silver, another little tip, and I'm giving you stuff that's going to be on the series, but hey, why not? Here's a freebie. Um, If you have a little magnet and you hold it up to something silver-plated oftentimes there will be a magnetic pull, And that doesn't occur with sterling. But on on the silver-plated items, usually the base metal under the silver plating can be magnetic. Not in every case, but it can be. Another thing to do is to smell it. If it smells a bit funky and stinky and tarnished, that's often not silver. Um, And the other thing is sterling silver is not as heavy... At silver plate. So if it's lighter, really? it's lighter if it, it can be... Curly.
0: Oh, because the metal inside would, would create extra weight.
1: Exactly. No. Usually those base metals underneath were a lot heavier. But that's a common misconception. A lot of people think the heavier the item, it must be real. That's not true. Oh
3: uh. no. I have a really strong magnet, and I'm trying to stick it to a silver bowl I have, and it's not. We can
0: hear you, Mom.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sticks, but not the way it would.
1: Okay, so are there any markings on the bottom of the bowl?
3: Well, it's got a blue, like stuck to it, and the the little stickers worn off, but you can see where the sticker was.
1: Hmm. I'd need to see photos. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome to send me a picture at, at au. Okay, oh,
0: fun. Oh, what a fun call. Talk about elegance. This was exactly. places that I had no idea I could go. Thank you so much, Chris.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Oh, so much fun. Um Oh, I could just talk to you for hours. I just want to listen to everything. Wait, and I have to ask again, just because it was so fun. You said your first set of China had cream, and then your second set. What were the colors? Cobalt and what?
1: Cobalt blue and gold, and uh, and and sort of a more white porcelain. And then I found another set that oh. just had a little gold rim and was white, and was French um, Limoges china as well. So yeah.
0: Oh, it's so fun. This awesome. magnet thing's fun. I have a whole <laughs> shelf I can of hear silver this clanging in the background. I'm like, Of course, that's mother <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll have you ladies over for an elegant dinner when I return to Manitoba. I'll bring you my magnet. My, on my Lapoge and my Sterling. How does that sound? <laughs> so <Sounds> good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, well thank you so much chris um oh this is an awesome call i'm going to try to fire this through the internet so that as many people get this information as possible um so thank you very much and i for those of you um listening in uh next week my guest is george ira carroll He's a really interesting guy. He just wrote a book called The Homeless Motivational Speaker. He's just a hoot. <laughs> I met him three years ago at a seven day, probably the same time I met you, Chris, at a seven day in Costa Rica. And uh, so we're going to be having a really interesting conversation with him. Um, so awesome. thanks, to all of Yeah, thank you, those of you for listening in. And Chris, thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, Julie. Uh, Julia, and I'll send a picture of that cock, uh, that uh, cake comb for your fa- Facebook page.
0: Oh, good! Thank you so much. And I'm <laughs> going to <laughs> I'm going to um, put the uh, link to the antique. Or wait, well, I exited out of the website already. But the the
1: elegance of living. The
0: elegance of living. I was on it and searching through it. So that will go on my Facebook page too, so everyone can um, go there and see more. So, yeah, well, happy Wednesday, everybody. Um, Now I'm on to the How to Become Money Workbook class. I already have people ringing my doorbell to to come in. So um, we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.